This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. So a few weeks ago, we began this new summer series, Communion with the Living God. What we're doing in the series is we are looking at some of the prayers of the Apostle Paul. There are times in his letters when the Apostle Paul just kind of stops and prays over a, a, a church. And so today we're looking at a prayer in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians, um, or cha- 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, rather, verses 3 through 12. If you would find that in your copy of God's Word, 2 Thessalonians 1 and verses 3 through 12. And let's follow, follow along with me as we look at the text together. 2 Thessalonians 1, and we're going to pick it up here at verse 3. The Apostle Paul says, We ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, since your faith is flourishing and the love each one of you has for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you among God's churches, about your perseverance and faith, in all the persecutions and afflictions that you are enduring, it is clear evidence of God's righteous judgment that you will be counted worthy of God's kingdom for which you were also suffering, since it is just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted along with us. This will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels, when he takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength on that day when he comes to be glorified by his saints and to be marveled at by those who have believed because our testimony among you was believed. In view of this, we always pray for you that our God will make you worthy of his calling and by his power fulfill your every desire to do good and your work produced by faith so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified by you and you by him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we we come before you now in prayer as we prepare to study this prayer. And it is our prayer that you would take it and that you would use it in our lives. Lord, as we learn to to pray over our Bibles, to pray pray the scriptures, Not not just to read the scripture, but to turn the scripture into prayer. And so, Lord, we we thank you for moving your servant, Paul, to pray this prayer for the church at Thessalonica, knowing that it would be for us as well. And Lord, would you work in our lives today? And it's the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. So last year, I had the opportunity to Southeast Asia 
and to, to, to see a movement that could only really be described as something like we, we, we read about in the book of Acts. It's a, it's a part of Southeast Asia where the church is expanding rapidly. It started small with just one believer and then that believer uh, discipled another believer and that believer discipled more and it just it just went on until now addition has turned into multiplication but you know as i was able to sit on on the floor of this little house with some of the leaders of this movement you know these people are they're poor they have been persecuted from the very first day that they decided to follow Christ and yet they are filled with joy with humility with thanksgiving I mean we sung earlier today it's a song of Asian believers filled with God's holy fire I mean that is what I experienced in those days you know with those Asian believers and this week as I studied this text about the the, the Thessalonian believers, I was reminded of them because they have so much in common. The believers in Thessalonica were, were relatively new, new believers. They had been persecuted from the very first day that they followed Jesus, and yet it is so obvious from what Paul writes that these people are filled with love. They are filled with joy. They are filled with a sense of, of humility and and thanksgiving. Oh, that God would give us more <laughs> of what they had. So let's dig into it this morning. What do we see here in this prayer and in the verses that lead up to the prayer? First of all, we see a thanksgiving for God's grace. A thanksgiving for God's grace. So let's check out verse three. He says, we ought to Thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, since your faith is flourishing and the love each one of you has for one another is increasing. One of the most neglected Christian virtues in America in the 21st century is thanksgiving. I mean, we have a day called thanksgiving in our culture, but the Bible says we need lives that are characterized by thanksgiving every day because we tend uh, as american believers we tend to be kind of a whiny bunch sometimes complaining a, a lot um somewhat in, in entitled and look i'm putting me among that number because as i've been able to travel and experience some of the global church and interact with believers from around the world one thing that strikes me again and again is that I have a lot more things than them, but a lot of them have a lot more thanksgiving than me. And so Paul here begins with thanksgiving. Thanking God for what? First of all, for their growing faith. Look at verse three again. We ought to, we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, since your faith is flourishing. It was growing abundantly. 
You know, it was like, it was like in a hot, hot house, you know, uh, the perfect conditions for growth. We have this little puppy now at our house. So I've been trying to keep the grass extra low for him because he's so little. But like over the past two weeks since we've gotten him, I mean, it's been rain and then like tropical sun and heat right after that. And the St. Augustine grass just explodes in that kind of, of atmosphere. It's just hard to keep it back. And this was, this was the case with these believers. Their, their faith was just shooting up. It was, it was flourishing, growing abundantly. And so Paul thanks God for their growing faith. Second, he thanks God for their growing love. Look at verse 3 again. He says, your faith is flourishing, and the love each one of you has for one another is increasing. Now remember... This was Paul's prayer from 1 Thessalonians that we looked at last week. Turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and let's look at verse 12 there. Turn back to 1 Thessalonians 3, 12. What did we see last week that Paul prayed for them in the first letter? 1 Thessalonians 3, 12. He says, and may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone just as we do for you. Now we come to the second letter and we see that God has answered prayer. He says here in verse 3 that the, your, the love that each of you has for one another is increasing. Now listen, they were, they were already a loving church, but, but, but their, their love is just growing all the more. So he's thanking God for their growth in faith and their growth in love. Now, do you see how that faith and love are things that are to be growing in our lives as believers? Sometimes we can just look at our faith and love and say, well, you know, it is what it is. But the Christian life is about transformation. It's about growth. These are things that we are to be growing in. I, I love what John Stott said about growth in faith. Stott said, we tend to speak of faith in static terms as something we either have or have not. I wish I had your faith, we say. Like, I wish I had your complexion as if it were a genetic endowment. But faith is a relationship of trust in God. And like all relationships, it's a living, dynamic, growing thing. I mean, listen, read the Gospels. How many times do, you, do we see Jesus challenging his disciples to grow in their faith? Sometimes he says, he gives them a loving rebuke. He says, oh, you have little faith. In other words, the implication is, you're not going to stay there. You're going to be growing in your faith. Your faith needs to grow. Do you find that you're able to trust God more than you could a year ago? Is it growing? What about your love? We're to be growing in love. Again, I love what Stott says about this. We assume rather helplessly that we either love somebody or we do not, and we can do nothing about it. But love also, like faith, is a living relationship whose growth we can take steps 
to nurture. Now, in a good marriage, we know this. We love one another, but in, in marriage, we have to take steps to nurture our love. We, we work at it. You work hard at it to nurture love. You don't just say it's, love's at a certain level and it's not going to grow. No, we're to grow in love. Look at verse 4. He says, Therefore, we ourselves boast about you among God's churches about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and afflictions that you are enduring. Now, at first, when he says we boast about you, we, we wonder because, you know, we, we know that we're only to boast in the Lord, right? Boast in nothing but Jesus and his cross. But that is what Paul is doing here because this boasting emerges out of what he says in verse three, which is that he's thanking God. He's thanking God for God's work among these people. So it's God that is getting the glory. It's God that is producing this fruit. But you see, he wants to encourage them. And that's a great application for us because when you you see your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you can see God growing them, speak to them about that. Encourage them in that. Say, hey, listen, I, I really see God doing a work in your life in this area. Well, that's so much better than silence. First Thessalonians 5 and verse 11 says, therefore encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. Be a Barnabas. Be a son or daughter of encouragement. Be known as a person who habitually encourages others. And so we see here, first of all, in verses 3 and 4, a thanksgiving for God's grace. And then in verses 5 through 10, a teaching about God's judgment. Wow. Deep waters. Heavy, heavy stuff here in verses 5 through 10. 10 about the judgment of God. Look at verse 5. He says, It is clear evidence. What is clear evidence? The fact that they are enduring through so much persecution and affliction is clear evidence of God's righteous judgment that you will be counted worthy of God's kingdom for which you also are suffering. Now think of the temptation that these, these persecuted believers must have had. It's, it's difficult for us. There's a cultural disconnect here because we in, in our culture have not experienced the level of persecution that these people had. But try to, try to imagine what the temptation would be if you were in a situation where you were, you were suffering to this degree, afflicted to this degree because of your faith in, 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 in Christ, you know, one temptation would, would be to, to, to think, you know, maybe, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe I'm outside of the will of God. And Paul is saying here, no, 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 no. The fact that you are going through this is evidence that you are in the will of God. It's evidence not that you're doing the wrong thing, but that you're doing the right thing. That's what's getting you persecuted. 
And so he says here that actually this is, this is a plain indication. Your suffering is clear evidence and your perseverance in that suffering is clear evidence that you truly belong to him. And that fact will be seen one day by all when Christ returns, which is where he's going next. Let's look at verses six through nine. He says, since it is just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted along with us, this will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels when he takes vengeance with flaming fire on, the, on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength. Wow. So he talks here about repayment and relief. The day when Christ comes is going to be a joyous relief for believers. And think about believers who are, are suffering persecution for their faith. That day when Christ comes is going to be immediate relief, joyous relief. But that day is going to be a day, Paul says, of, of, of repayment for those who are doing the afflicting, for those who do not know Christ. He says here, for it is just, verse six, for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Verse eight, when he takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. There was a, a preacher in Memphis at Bellevue Baptist Church many years ago, R.G. Lee, and he had a famous sermon, and it was on Ahab and Jezebel, this, this incredibly wicked couple in the Old, Old Testament, and you know, God warned them, God told them, you're going to reap what you sow one day. And so R.G. Lee's sermon was called Payday Someday. And Paul talks here in verses six and seven about repayment. It is just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. <clears throat> Without heaven and hell, this world is meaningless. Morality is meaningless. I was struck by this the day that I visited Auschwitz in 2019. I was in Poland and was able to spend the day at Auschwitz where literally millions of people were murdered. And that day as I walked around Auschwitz and the, the train track is still there running into the middle of the camp, the very train track where cattle, they would bring cattle cars filled with people to be loaded off of those cattle cars 
and most of them were immediately taken to the gas chambers. And do you know what thought occurred to me more than anything else that day? What if there was no judgment? What if there were no heaven or hell? What if Adolf Hitler, on the day that he committed suicide in that bunker in Berlin on April 30th, 1945, what if Hitler just went to the same place as Billy Graham or the Apostle Paul? What if there were no heaven and hell? What if there were no judgment? Life is meaningless. Life would be like in the words of Macbeth and Shakespeare, a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Life has no meaning without a final judgment. Morality has no meaning. Ethics have no meaning. So Paul wants these suffering believers to know your suffering is not without meaning. Stay faithful to Christ. He is coming. Joyous relief is coming. Your suffering will endure just for a, a moment in time compared to the eternity of glory that is coming to you in Christ. And God is going to deal with those who afflict you. Now, that doesn't mean that these believers were to hate the unbelievers who were afflicting them. No, what did we see last week? Again, turn, turn back to 1 Thessalonians 3.12 when they're praying for love. He says, and may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone. In other words, May God make your love overflow, not only for your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, but for everyone, including the unbelievers in Thessalonica who are persecuting you. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Vengeance is not ours to take. That's God's business. Judgment is God's business. It's not ours. No, we... We're to love our enemies. We are to pray for their repentance. After all, the person who is writing this letter, the Apostle Paul, is someone who had had unbelievers killed before he became one. That, that is our prayer. We, we, we love our enemies. We share the gospel with our enemies. We want them to come to Christ, that they will not fall under the judgment of God. But if they do not, then judgment is, is coming. But that's God's business, it's not ours. We're to love our enemies. Paul is saying here, stay faithful. Stay faithful, keep pressing on, because Christ is coming. Look at verse 10, on that day when he comes to be glorified by his saints and to be marveled at by all those who have believed. Wow, what a day that will be. 
my first church was in Windsor, North Carolina, you know, Eastern North Carolina, a little, little country church where Melissa and I would get up on Sunday morning and do the church bulletin on my cutting edge brother word processor uh, back in those days. And, and man, we would, get the, we would get to church and the fav- our favorite song in that church, no doubt about it, was what a day that will be. <laughs> When my Jesus I will see, when I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand, leads me to the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. So live each day as if that day will be that day. And that's exactly where Paul is going next in this prayer. So that's the third thing that we see here, a prayer for God's power. Let's look at the prayer in verses 11 and 12. He says, in view of this, we always pray for you that our God will make you worthy of his calling and by his power fulfill your every desire to do good and your work produced by faith so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified by you and you by him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So go back to the beginning of verse 11. Paul, Paul says in, in view of this or toward this end, to this end, what end? In view of what? What he's just said. Christ is coming. Christ is coming. Live toward that end. Paul prays eschatologically. He lives eschatologically with a view of the end in mind. The great theologian Jonathan Edwards as a young man in his 20s, wrote a series of 70 resolutions to guide his life. This was one of them, resolved. Never to do anything which I would be afraid to do if I expected it would not be more than an hour before I would hear the last trump sound. That's living with the end in mind. And that should have a purifying effect upon our lives. 1 John 3 and verses 2 and 3 says, Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. The second coming of Christ is not to be about idle speculation, but involved sanctification. It should impact our lives now, the way that we live, if we live with that kind of expectancy. I may have shared this before, but my, my dad had 2 Timothy 4.8 um, stuck to the, the mirror in his bathroom. And I, I, I guess he just wanted to be confronted with this every day when he shaved or you know, got ready to face the day. He wanted these words right in front of him. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. 
Now, what does he pray for here? Let's look at verse 11 again. In view of this, to this end, we always pray for you that what? First of all, that our God will make you worthy of his calling. Now, he is not saying here that we can make ourselves worthy. That would go against the whole message of the gospel. The whole point of the gospel is that we're not worthy and that only Christ is worthy and that we are guilty sinners, we are unworthy and we are saved by grace. So he's not saying here that we can somehow make ourselves worthy, no, not at all. We're saved by grace. And again, I will quote Jonathan Edwards, one of my favorite Edwards quotes, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. <laughs> so you can forget about making yourself worthy. None of us is worthy. It's not what he's talking about here. No, I think D.A. Carson captures well what Paul is praying for. Carson says, Paul is constantly telling people, in effect, to become what they are. That is, since we are already children of God because of his free grace to us in Christ, we must now become all that such children should be. In other words, you've been given this incredibly high calling in Christ. You have been adopted by the Father and made a son or daughter of God. And, and so become who you are. Right, walk, live according to who you are in Christ. Your worth is given by him, it comes from him, and live into that. Walk worthy, as we saw in Colossians 1.10. So that's the first thing he prays here. Right, that God will make you worthy of his calling. What's, what's the second thing? And by his power, fulfill your every desire to do good and your work produced by faith. What is he talking about here? This is super important. Paul knows that as people who have genuinely been born again, that the Spirit is going to give you new desires. He is going to give you a new resolve to do good. He's gonna put desires in your life to do good. What he's praying for here is that those new desires, that new resolve will be translated into action. So, God puts these desires in our hearts. It's good. That's evidence of salvation, right? As a believer, right? He puts desires. I mean, maybe you say, you know, I want to I wanna spend more time with, I want to spend more time with God. I know I need to develop my walk with God more. I want to spend more time with him. Okay. Great, great resolve. Great desire. Spirit implanted desire. Okay. But, how are you going to execute that? What's your plan? Like, what's your plan for tomorrow? Like, have you carved out time to, to be alone with God in his word? You say, I want to read the Bible more. I know I need to learn more of the Bible. Okay, 
great desire. What's your plan? What's your plan? You can go on the U version this afternoon and there are dozens of plans. Choose one and go after it. The prayer here is that God will, would fulfill your every desire to do good, that it would be translated into action. You say, as a believer, I know I need to share my faith with people who are not yet in Christ. But who's your one? You start with one. Who's one person in your life that doesn't know Christ that you can pray for and begin sharing with? You say, I, 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 I know I, I want to I I help younger believers to grow in their faith. I know I need to be discipling. We're called to make disciples. Okay, who are you going to be meeting with to read the Bible together, to encourage, to help them grow in their faith? Right? Do you see? It's, it's, the prayer is for the desires to do good to be, to be fulfilled, to become faith-filled work for God's glory, right? Yeah, I know I need to be giving or serving in the ministry, whatever. Listen, okay, that's a great godly desire, but have you actually taken your computers and gotten together and said, okay, we're, we're, we're building this into our lives. We're gonna build giving you know, to, for God's glory into our, 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 our budget. How, okay, see, it, it's got those desires to do good, those intentions have to be translated into action. That's the prayer here. That's the prayer in the latter part of verse 11. By his power, fulfill your every desire to do good and your work produced by faith. And here's the ultimate end in verse 12. So that, it's a purpose clause, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified by you and you by him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the ultimate end of the Christian life. The glory of Christ that the name of the Lord Jesus will be glorified by you. Carson says the Christian's whole desire at its highest and best is that Jesus Christ be praised. We want Christ to be exalted and more famous in our community and around the world. This is why we do everything in the church. Why we do missions. John Piper says missions exist because worship doesn't. And so we want praise to Christ to ring out you know, from every city, every village, every nation on earth, every tribe and tongue. We want Christ to receive the glory that he is due the worship that he is due. And one day, our worship will be perfect. <laughs> perfect worship. Because it's gonna be untainted by sin. And that's the day that Paul is talking about here in verse 12, right? That on that day, right, the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified by you and you by him. What's he talking about here? 
He's been talking about the coming of Christ. On that day, believers are gonna be glorified. We're gonna get glorified bodies that are no longer subject to disease and aging and death and sin. We're gonna live together in a new heaven and earth that's a world that's not broken anymore, a world of love where everything is made new. We're gonna be glorified on that day, right? And so we're gonna be giving praise to Jesus, right? That the name of the Jesus of the name of Jesus may be glorified by you. But then he says this, and you by him. And you by him. He's talking about the fact that, that believers are going to be glorified on that day. Now, we're being transformed now from glory to glory, 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, we all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, for this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Do you realize that you become what you worship? You're becoming more and more what you worship. If you're worshiping Christ, you're gonna become more and more like Christ. If you're worshiping other stuff, you become more like that. But as we fix our eyes on Jesus and we worship him, there's a transformation that's taking place in our lives. He says we're being transformed into the same image and more and more like Christ. But then one day, when Christ comes again, that process is gonna be complete. We're fully glorified. Romans 8, 29 and, and 30 says, for those he, he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now think about this. We know our glorification ultimately is in the future. It's a future event when Christ comes again, but Paul speaks of it as if it's happened, as if it's an accomplished fact, because he's so certain that it's going to happen, that he speaks of it as if it's done. Keep your eye on that prize. In 1952, a distant swimmer named Florence Chadwick put her foot into the waters of the Pacific on Catalina Island. And her goal that day was to swim all the way from Catalina Island to the mainland of California. That was not far-fetched to think. She was the first woman to swim the English Channel and she had done it both ways, there and back. And so that day her goal was to make it to the mainland of California. It was a foggy day. She could barely see the boats that were right beside her in case she got in trouble. She swam for 15 hours. And she was pleading to, to be taken out of, out of the water. Her trainer who was in the boat right beside her just encouraged her, listen, you don't have far to go, you're almost there. But she just, she just could not do it. They took her into the boat. She, had half, she was half a mile from the shore. 
And the next day she gave a press conference and she said, you know, I'm not making excuses, but I really believe that it would have made a huge difference if I could have seen the shore. She said, I think I could have made it if I could have seen my destination, if I could have seen the shore. Two months later, she did that very thing. She made the same swim on a sunny day with her eyes fixed on the prize, her eyes on the shore, and she made it without a problem. Paul here is saying to these believers and saying to you and me, keep pressing on. Keep your eyes on the prize. Keep looking to Jesus. Look to him. Keep your eyes fixed on him. And he'll give you the strength that you need to carry on. Let's pray together. And so, Lord, we, we pray for your power, your grace, in seeking to live life in this broken world for you. Lord, we cannot do this in our own strength. We need the power of your spirit. We need to be praying for one another. We need to be praying for the impact of the church upon this broken world that we're living in. And so, Lord, we thank you for these prayers of the Apostle Paul, including this one. As we just continue to reflect before the Lord, he's saying that all of this is by grace. It's a gift. We, we, we talked about heavy things today. Heaven or hell. That is the eternal destiny of every single human being, including you, one of two places. Are you ready for heaven? Are you ready for the return of Christ? Are you, you ready if your own life ends? The Bible says we're not promised tomorrow. There is a savior who died on the cross for sinners like you and me, lived the perfect life we could never live, died the death we should have died, and then, and then rose from the dead, defeating death for all who will trust in him. Would you trust in Jesus? Would you turn to him as your savior and Lord and king? Cry out to the Lord. The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Call out to him now, Lord Jesus. Save me, I turn to you. I trust in you. I believe you died for my sins, that you rose from the dead. I give my life to you. We can't live the Christian life alone. We need brothers and sisters in Christ encouraging each other, building each other up. It could be that you're, you're here and you, you know I need a church family of brothers and sisters to do this with. And maybe the Spirit of God is saying to you today, you know, I need to take this step and say I'm following Jesus or I'm united with, with, uh, with this church family as we follow Jesus together. In just a few moments as we stand and sing,
we want to invite you to come and, and pray with us. We'll celebrate with you, rejoice with you. Is there a need in your life, your, your life for, for prayer? Our altar is open to you. There are people here who will pray with you before you leave today. Let God have his way in your life. And so, Father, we give you now this time. Lord, would you work by the power of your spirit as only you can. And may Christ be glorified by what you do in the lives of people. We thank you that you are a living God. And that you are all about new life, fresh beginnings, transformation, eternal life growth work in our lives right now we pray I hope you've been blessed by this message Christ is the answer for every need now and for all eternity as someone once said Jesus plus nothing equals everything and everything minus Jesus equals nothing have you trusted in Jesus as your savior if not why not now his arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.